Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's off to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-back attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's show, longtime North Carolina sports broadcaster David Glenn joins the Believe and Panthers podcast. But first, it's the opening drop. <laughs> Welcome to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. I am joined by two-time Super Bowl champion and the first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers back in the first round, 1995 NFL draft, cornerback Tyrone Poole in the house. What's going on, Ty? How you doing, Desmond? I'm just here working that thing, man, working that thing, trying to be as great as I can be and overcome everything that tries to hinder me. How you doing? Doing good, man. Made it through another week. Uh, healthy. Feel like I've been dodging raindrops all week, but uh, here, alive and healthy. Glad to be here uh, and bringing Panther fans more extensive coverage of the Carolina Panthers as they're in their training camp period right now. Got a lot to talk about. We've got longtime North Carolina radio sports broadcaster David Glenn. Uh, treat for us a little beyond what this here is our guest this week a little bit later on. And we're about to get into the opening drive, but first... Uh, Ty, I needed to mention, you know, the playoffs are going on, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have got our fans covered. Um, I mentioned before, you know, I'm a Laker fan. Uh, I was worried a little bit in the beginning, game one, it was game time, uh, so I wasn't too sure about what was happening, but my Lakers feel like they've kind of put a stranglehold on that series and uh, mm-hmm. may have to look forward to maybe putting something on Lakers and Clippers down the road here mm-hmm. um, through Bet Online. So to take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on, there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today. Sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts, partners here with us at the Believe Podcast Network. Let's get into the open and drive here for this week, Ty. Uh, not a lot of uh, transaction moves or whatnot with the Panthers. It's kind of funny because there's no preseason, and we're used to seeing cuts each week after a game is concluded. And uh, we've gone a couple weeks into August. We hadn't really talked so much about preseason because there really isn't one. And uh, this week we're going to kind of touch on it. But on Friday, the Panthers signed cornerback. Jamison Houston and defensive end Austin Larkin. Uh, the Panthers cut defensive end Devontae Lambert and defensive back Cole Luke. Uh, Houston, in particular, an undrafted free agent from Baylor, where he played four years under Panthers head coach Matt Rule. Uh, so the Panthers kind of playing with their roster depth, uh, seeing what they got. Uh, but Ty, I gotta admit, man, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Uh, now that your playing days are over. I've, I've learned that there are two different types of NFL fans. There's the NFL fan that loves watching preseason, and there's the NFL fan that can't stand watching NFL preseason. Where would you put yourself now that you're, no, you're not a player but more of a fan and an observer of the game? Do you enjoy watching preseason games, or were, are you in that boat where 
you know, you could live without preseason games and just let's get us rolling week one. Well, I'm going to change that. There uh, is you're either a football fan or you're not a football fan. Okay. You either eat food or you don't eat food. You don't <laughs> eat one day and then you eat next month. No, you either eat food or you don't eat food. So you're either a football fan or you're not a football fan. I understand sometimes what you're trying to say is basically, you know, hey, let's get it on. You know, everybody wants yeah. the real games. Let's go. Uh, so from that standpoint, you know, football fans are football football fans, and they want football. And you know, I'm a sportsman. Uh, I like anything that's active. Anything that's active. Football is probably one of my number one sports. Hockey is probably my second best sport. Not because of the interaction physically, but it's a fast-paced game. Hockey. For okay. those who know hockey, have seen hockey. Hockey is a very fast-paced game. Football is a very fast-paced game. So I think that's why the people gravitate more towards professional football than probably baseball, basketball. But me as personally, to answer that question, I'll watch preseason. I'll watch the regular season, definitely the postseason, and definitely the Super Bowl. But still, in between those games, I still find myself you know what? I'll come back in about a couple of minutes, depending on how much activity is going on in the game. But mm-hmm. if you're a football fan or you're not a football fan. Yeah, and I'm I'm in the same boat. Like I, I know people, some people in the media industry that just detest preseason, can't stand it, uh and, and hate it. Um, they're not me, football fans. <laughs> exactly. I'm I, you know, I'm like, I love preseason. For me, being a Carolina Panther fan, it's the only time I kind of get a chance to look into the eyes of the coaches and the minds of the coaches to see what they're thinking personnel wise. Like I like to see, you know, who's the second string quarterback this year? Like, how is he going to play? Like, and it's one thing to see him in practice it's another thing to see him against, you know, the Patriots or the Lions or somebody in preseason, an actual game with referees and fans and everything else going on. You can't duplicate that environment in practice. So uh, I'm from the kind of the mindset of, I'm kind of hurting this week because this would have been the third preseason game. And this is typically the game where your starters run into the third quarter. Uh, You're not really running so much vanilla, I guess you could say. You're you're trying a couple little things, but you're seeing more of the guys you're going to see every Sunday. And we don't have that this year. There's no preseason across the entire NFL. Um, However, uh, it's kind of a strange week um, across the country. The Panthers held their quote-unquote fan fest of sorts on Wednesday night in an empty Bank of America stadium, uh, basically a nighttime glorified practice tie. Uh, they had the lights on, no fans anywhere, social distancing being practiced with the media and the, and the, uh, the members of the team. Uh, the practice, however, was held in the shadow of events going on around the sports world and the country as a whole on Wednesday as the NBA playoffs were grinded to a halt. Uh, for those that don't know what's going on, if you've been in Iraq the past week, the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks led the way in a boycott against playing their playoff game against the Orlando Magic Wednesday afternoon. Uh, games and practices were canceled in Major League Baseball, the NHL, Major League Soccer, the WNBA. Uh, kind of a ripple effect across the entire sports world uh, as the Lakers, the Blazers, the uh, all these teams decided to not play on Wednesday. And, and as of this recording, they're still not playing, uh, but they are scheduled to begin again this weekend. I bring that up because the Panthers had a decision to make on Wednesday. They had this scheduled. Uh, typically, preseason games are broadcasted not on national television here, but across local affiliate stations that carry the Panthers games uh, throughout the year. So there's a specific station like here where I live. I live basically dead center in North Carolina. 
uh, there's a station based in Greensboro that cut, that plays the Panther playoff games, or excuse me, the preseason games. There is no preseason, so those stations don't have that there to play. So they needed something, and after some badgering or whatnot, from my understanding, the Panthers relented and decided to go ahead and, and show FanFest without the fans uh, live to those affiliates so they had something to play. So that, so they had kind of a situation going on where this was already scheduled, um, and because of that, head coach Matt Rule decided to talk to the team leaders on this team uh, about practicing Wednesday night and how they felt about it, and here's some audio from head coach Matt Rule, courtesy of Panthers.com. So I met with um, a couple, you know, when I saw the NBA had canceled, I met with a couple of the leaders, you know, a couple of guys on our team. And I just, I know they had talked, you know, just sort of said, hey, what, what you know, what, where are your guys' thoughts at? Uh, where are your hearts, where are your minds at in terms of practicing, not practicing? Um, and I, I think, I know they had mixed emotions, you know, and, um, you know, I, I was there to support them no matter what. I think, um, you know, they wanted they wanted to be in support of the NBA. They obviously wanted to be in support of you know social justice, um, but I think in the end they also felt like you know they wanted to do something impactful. Uh, they wanted to take some time and um, and do something besides just you know missing a Wednesday night practice. I think they recognized a lot of people here in Charlotte were you know a- anticipating seeing them playing, and I just think they felt like let's 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 do this at the right time. So. Clearly, top Panthers were affected by the events happening in Wisconsin the past few days after uh, Jacob Blake, 27-year-old uh, black male, actually from Winston-Salem, uh, around my neck of the woods, actually, was shot in the back seven times by police during a domestic dispute call uh, after nights of protesting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. A 17-year-old uh, killed two and shot another Tuesday night, which caused the ripple effect across sports, starting with the Bucks and the NBA and heading to where we are now. The Panthers, I do commend them for going out there and playing, as you heard from head coach Matt Roll, uh, with heavy hearts, but they felt like they needed to still go out there and do something. Um, any thoughts from you, Ty, in terms of what you've been seeing this week in terms of what's going on, in particular in the sports world, their reaction to what's been happening in Wisconsin? And, and as you and I both know, as, as educated black males in this country, this isn't the first time this has happened. This has been going on for generations and generations. So wanted to get your thoughts on what you've been observing over the past week with everything. And it does feel a little different this time around in terms of the, the reaction from the sports world uh, to these events. What, what, what are your thoughts on what you've been seeing this week? Well, I, before we jump into that topic, topic, I want to back up a little bit about the preseason games. Um, you know, uh, me personally as a player, um, I would not want to have preseason games. Uh, and I look at it from both parts of an owner and a player, but for a player, you know, uh, understanding that this pandemic, COVID-19, uh, I think not having tr- uh, preseason games, of course, cuts down and reduces the transmission of the COVID-19 uh, with the players. And of course, it saves each team <laughs> two plane trips uh, to different right. stadiums. Uh, <laughs> so they, you know, continue to uh, transmit or be in the presence. So, uh, and then again, if the host team, the host team doesn't have to reconfigure the visitor locker room and you know other parts of the stadium to accommodate the traveling team, which uh, also by keeping the six feet of physical distancing uh, required by the league protocol. So uh, you know that's good thing about not having the preseason games, uh, and also the coaches. Now this is a kind of a a con, so to speak, a negative. Uh, without preseason games, it 
does allow fewer chances for first year coaching staff to get acclimated uh, to their new team. So, mm. you know, Coach Matt Rule, you know, he doesn't really have a full grasp of the team. So it could be a question of the Panthers, the staff, and uh, how they make their play calls, uh, because usually you can kind of get a feel for how your offensive coordinator is going to call certain plays. And uh, getting Coach Matt Rule an opportunity to see how his players respond. Um, again, injuries. That's always the biggest thing, and that's one of my ploys. I reason I don't like preseason because they're meaningless. Uh, mm -hmm. Players actually, from a financial standpoint, don't get paid. Uh, but if they get injured, they get cut. You know, mm -hmm. when I say they don't get paid, they're probably getting paid probably less than two thousand uh, dollars a week. And come on, you plan a sport, really? you get injured, they actually yeah go check out check out the notes and see guys do not get paid uh, on a. Uh, regular salary during the preseason and even during the postseason, guys do not get their regular pay. Everybody get a stipend. Uh, wow. Each team gets a stipend. Each player gets a stipend. So it's the same thing in preseason. So, um, you know, it's a lot of stuff that the fans need to be aware of. So when they mm -hmm. go out there and they start talking about why are they not playing? Why are they not playing? Well, you know, again, me from a player standpoint, you know, I think the games are, are meaningless. Uh, but uh, it also serves as a pro because it cuts down on injuries uh, because guys go through the offseason really not being put in uh, football situations, reaction of a football movement. So the preseason does give the guys an opportunity to acclimate themselves uh, physically uh, to prevent injuries. So, you know, just uh, summing, it, summing it all up, you know, preseason is good, but preseason is bad. Uh, but me as a player, I would not want preseason. And I think because of this COVID-19, what we're going to see probably with the first couple of weeks kickoff, uh, we're going to see uh, players, the team's going to look like they're not gelling, they're not together, because, again, these are things that could have been developed with preseason. Uh, and also, if you do see injuries, I do think you're probably going to see more soft tissue. Uh, type of injuries, you know, mm -hmm. poor hamstrings and mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, but again, uh, me personally, um, injury-wise and pay-wise, <laughs> you know, I'm not a fan of preseason, but uh, from an owner standpoint, I guess, you know, they want to have those games so that they can still get the parking, so they still can get the fans to pay the tickets and, you know, you still going to have the concessions and the beer and everything. So the owners are making money, losing money, and the players are losing money and possibly getting injured. So, uh, but yeah, that's my take on preseason. But uh, and uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of why the owners were probably so easy to drop the preseason games because they can't have any fans in there. So they, they can't generate that extra preseason revenue that they normally would off the two home games they would have from concessions and tickets and parking and everything else you just mentioned because some of these teams don't even know how many people they can let into their building yet to watch these games so uh that clearly explains why preseason was kind of uh tossable I guess you could say this season uh, along with COVID-19 um your, your thoughts on what was going on in the sports world this week yeah and from the social social uh you know injustice uh, movement uh, with the players in the NBA starting it. And I commend the players in the NBA um, because, you know, the NBA is more of a player-driven league and the NFL is more of an owners-driven league. So it's almost like the players in the NFL, we have to get permission first. But the NBA players, because they drive the NBA, they're like, hey, this is what we're going to do. 
Uh, but you're beginning to see that we as individuals, not only athletes, but as individuals, people who wake up every day and go to work or wake up every day and have a family, if we just realize how much we actually have an impact on this world, I think we could make this world uh, better. And I just think, you know, with all the 328 plus million people in this country called the United States, you know, we as individually individuals have to make a change in order to destroy this social inequality. Uh, like the like the late Michael Jackson song says, uh, I'm asking the man in the mirror. Mm -hmm. I'm asking the man and, and in this case, asking the woman in the mirror to make that change and and you know uh, i'll come back and touch on what i believe how we do it but i know you probably want to say something as well but uh, again it's good to see that players and coaches realize that they can make a change uh but again this epidemic of uh injustice is bigger than sports and we as athletes it, you know, we can only bring awareness to to this social injustice but again the truth be told you know, the 328 plus million people in this country, we all got to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, let's make a change. I, I'm not going to go too deep down the rabbit hole because I do want to keep it on uh, on football. So I won't I won't drag it down any a whole lot further. But I will say this uh, for me, I'm very active on social media, whether it comes to promoting whatever I'm doing uh, job wise, just keeping up with friends. Uh, I get my news from there. And I think the thing that struck me the most, uh, the thing that's hurt me the most, Ty, over the past couple of, really past couple of months, um, since this has become bigger and bigger and bigger and more in the public eye, is kind of finding out people that you grew up with or went to high school with or college with, uh, worked in a job back in the day or whatnot, were not who you thought they were. And, and like, they're exposing them true selves on social media. Like, there's been... I've had to unfriend a lot of people the past couple of weeks because of things they've posted that are just insensitive to the, the actual cause. Like it just, it comes off like they don't truly understand why these players are boycotting, why these uh, cities are protesting, why, why people are so frustrated and it's just starting to bubble over. And you catch that on Facebook or you catch it, uh, someone uh, responding to you on Twitter or whatever it may be. And it, it just seems like there's a level of insensitivity from a certain group of people that it hurts me because these are people I've known 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, grew up with, uh, went to school with, had beers with, you know what I mean? Like people you thought you really truly knew and you get to, you know, older age and you start seeing the world in a different perspective and you realize that those people may not have saw you the same way you thought they saw you. And that's the thing that, that hurts me the most. Uh, with everything that's going on right now. But I'm super proud of the athletes in all these uh, sporting events that are, are realizing the actual power they have to affect change in 2020 going forward. Uh, here's some more audio courtesy of Panthers.com of head coach Matt Rule on listening to his players uh, instead of telling them what to do, listening to them and realizing it's time for real change in society as a whole. You know, I heard not just a call for social justice, but I heard like the feelings of of the men that I care about um, loud and clear. And so I told them, I said, you know, again, this is a movement that's run by these men on our team and they want to do something impactful and they want to do something thoughtful and they want to do something real, not just a, a statement. And so they, they that's what I think that's where they're headed. And I'm anxious to head there with them. 
And, um, you know, I do think the message that I heard today is, you know, it's time for change. Like the world's got, something's got to change. Like it's, we just can't keep saying, doing this and saying something's going to change. We have to make a change. And I, I think, um, I think the Carolina Panthers are completely committed to that. Now, Ty, I wasn't all doom and gloom on, on Bank of at Bank of America on Wednesday, though. I, I know there's a lot of stuff going on outside the world, but this is a Panther podcast, and I did want to uh, put in the fact the Panthers did get in a great workout Wednesday night. Uh, running back Christian McCaffrey was actually asked uh, by Panthers.com about stepping into a leadership role this year. Here's some audio from McCaffrey, courtesy of Panthers.com. Uh, it means a lot. I mean, I think I, I've learned from some unbelievable players, and uh, I've had I've been fortunate enough to you know take stuff from all the guys that I've learned from and put them into my game. And uh, you know, I see a lot of hardworking guys out here who are willing to do the same. So when you have that in a team, it makes it a lot of fun. Besides CMC, Ty, who would you nominate on this team to step up to be a leader? Um, I mean, obviously you've got some selections like Teddy Bridgewater and whatnot, but this is his first year here in Charlotte. Uh, it's kind of slim pickings considering they cleared out pretty much all of the veterans uh, that, were, that were here or had been here for many years. Uh, all of a sudden, McCaffrey entering his fourth year in the league is one of the grizzled veterans on this team. Uh, any names that come to mind that you would nominate to be a leader, or are you more the type where leaders emerge themselves? You don't pick a leader. A leader kind of steps to the front. Well, the consensus always tells people to pick the most popular person. Uh, the most well-known person should be the leader. And that's not necessarily true. Um, I once heard a guy say that leadership starts from the back. I think some of the greatest leaders, uh, whether it's in sports, whether it's in corporate America, great leaders are ones that start in the back or they start in the back. Uh, if you are the most popular person, you start in the back and you work with those in the back and you work your way to the stage. If you're thinking about the picture of a person walking an audience walking to the stage where your leadership is seen at its most but just because you're the most popular player on the team doesn't mean you're the best leader for the team and sometimes it's the guy who may be on the special teams that he just goes down and cover kicks that's it but that's the best leader that's the one that everybody looks up to that's the one that when people go to that person they're going to tell them the truth so it's not necessarily necessarily all the time the person who's the most popular whether it's McCaffrey whether it's Teddy Bridgewater it's the person that the guys say you know what I can look up to this guy this guy's gonna tell me the truth he's gonna be there when I need him so whoever that guy is we don't quite know yet but I'm pretty sure the coaches the players know who that guy is and the players will nominate and usually that's how it works they they, they vote the coaches allow the players to vote on who they want to be the captain and again most of the time it's the most popular guy on the team but that doesn't mean that that's the right guy and the guy sometimes who everybody wants that person is kind of like shy and you know they don't want to be in the limelight so you know it's kind of like juggling balls you know you just got to find that right guy who's not afraid but the guy who also is well known you know, and there's only a couple of guys on the squad besides McCaffrey. I guess Kawan Short comes up, uh, now a veteran defensive tackle, surrounded by rookies, basically, on that front four. Uh, Shaq Thompson just signed a new extension in the offseason with Luke Keekley retiring. I guess you could expect Shaq to step up into a more uh, prominent leadership role there. Uh, maybe Trey Boston 
uh, safety veteran that's uh, going to be back there in the backfield. There's so many rookies on this defense. <laughs> you know, as I just you know what it, it, it can be a rookie, <laughs> and it can be a rookie. Now, don't don't offset and say just because it's a rookie team, they are rookies. Again, it's about popularity. Think mm-hmm. about it. When they draft a quarterback number one, he's a rookie. They automatically usher that, push that quarterback into leadership role. That's so, a great point. If you're yeah. a rookie, doesn't mean that you can't be a leader. So, again, it's all about what the person brings internally, how they carry themselves. To me, that's a leader. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because the one thing I noticed this week going through notes from and tweets from uh, the beat writers that we're friends with that are down there covering the Panthers, Joe Person at The Athletic, Atlanta Getzenberg, and uh, – and uh, Joe uh, and others uh, from the Charlotte Observer, uh, the name that kept popping up was Jeremy Chin, uh, the second round safety that the Panthers moved up to draft uh, in the draft. They, and by all accounts, from Marty Herney, uh, Matt Rule, and others, they feel like they got the steal of the draft. They feel like they got a first round graded safety uh, midway through the second round uh, that can play linebacker or safety. That Thomas Davis hybrid type role when he comes in. And I'm hearing players gush over this guy, coaches gush over this guy. Like I'm kind of, they're kind of setting it up, expecting uh, a lot from Jeremy Chin. And I'm looking forward. He's probably the one guy out of all the guys they drafted that I'm looking forward to the most to seeing because it feels like the players are starting to gravitate towards him off of what you were just saying. Doesn't matter if he's a rookie or not. Uh, Jeremy Chin may definitely fill one of those roles on the defensive side. Um, now, with FanFest on Wednesday, and we, you are locked into the opening drive here in the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. David Glenn will be coming up here shortly. Uh, Coach Matt Rule was asked, this is something I've been wondering about, Ty, this entire time. Uh, Coach Rule was asked about practicing uh, that night with no fans in Bank of America Stadium, and I thought he had a really interesting answer to that, courtesy of Panthers.com. Here's head coach Matt Rule one more time. I think tonight was a really good night for us to be in the stadium. I think, you know, um, it was probably a little louder than it'll actually be. The, the, on Saturday, we did it just like the games will be. And I think, you know, I think the team that creates the most energy will have, have the most success. And I thought our guys tonight, um, when they went, had good energy. I think being under the lights and, 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 and practicing, even catching the punts, in the empty stadium with the backdrop and all that. I think all that's really important. So we'll try to go in the stadium again on Saturday. We'll try to go to stay in the stadium again sometime next week. You know, I don't want to ruin the grass, but I do want to get out there. And I think, um, I think that's a really important part is practicing in that environment. And, you know, I didn't really think about that till after he said it until I heard it out loud, Ty, but the, I guess these players have to get used to playing official football games in front of no fans. Have you ever played an official football game in front of zero fans before, like in your career? At any level? You know, you know, I've been asked about that several times. And when it comes to football, uh, I think football is one of them sports where you don't notice the fans are there. You truly don't. Once right. you're out there on, between those, yes. Once you're out there between those white lines, you can't, You don't have time to sit there and look around and see who's in the stadium because you may get your helmet sent to the hospital. <laughs> but you got to pay attention to the person that's in front of you. You got to pay attention. Things are moving so fast out there. There are defensive calls, defensive shifts, offensive calls, offensive shifts, and you can't get caught up there. And even the guys that are on the sideline, you got to be paying attention because if somebody gets injured, they call your name, or if you're the backup person, you got to be aware of what's going on, and you can't have your head looking around and see uh, what the fans are saying, who's wearing this, who's wearing that. Uh, when it comes to other sports, you know, basketball, uh, you know, baseball, uh, 
certain sports like that, I think the fans do have an impact, but I'm not saying that the fans don't have an impact in football, but myself being out there on that field, I didn't notice the fans when I was on the field. I was concentrated on the guy that was on the other side that I had to cover. The only time I really, truly, truly, truly noticed the fans was when I come to the sideline and I get a drink of Gatorade and sit down. And after I see that the offense has snapped the ball with no uh, turnover, then you kind of sit back and relax. You may look around, but even then your defensive coordinator or your secondary uh, coach or your position coach is talking to you in some manner. So really, you don't really have an opportunity to see the impact that the fans may have, unless it's just a straight blowout. Now, you know, you may have an opportunity to look around, but uh, for me, at least for me, I was focused. That That's all good stuff, because I, I've been wondering about that this entire time, how some of these players, especially younger players, are going to adapt to not having fans in the stands. And some of them are very emotional based. So, you know, I can see some players getting hype off the crowd and some players being able to totally block it out and do their jobs. Um, I want to continue this conversation and the conversation we're having about social unrest uh, affecting the sports world with our guest, longtime North Carolina sports broadcaster David Glenn joins the Believe in Panthers podcast next. And welcome back to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by my co-host, two-time Super Bowl winner, Tyrone Poole. Uh, our guest this week, I'm very happy to have on. He was the 2013 and 2019 NSMA North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year, 20-plus year veteran of sports talk in North Carolina, with his statewide syndicated show, The David Glenn Show, running for over 11 years across the entire state of North Carolina. That's 250-plus cities, y'all. Uh, currently a contributor to The Athletic and a founding editor of the ACC Sports Journal and ACCSports.com. Goodness gracious. Please welcome David Glenn <laughs> to the Believe in Panthers podcast. DG, my man, what's going on? I am doing great, Des. It's great to be with you again. And, of course, anytime you can hang around a two-time Super Bowl champ, that's a good day, too. Hey, I tell Ty that every week, every single week. I let him know what's going on. So I appreciate you guys. You guys are pouring it on thick. <laughs> <laughs> <At your> mama. <laughs> Did we mention first-round draft pick? The first ever defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers oh, first. Round and here 95. we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, stop it. <laughs> so, so DG, DG, I, I, I got to open up with the the biggest question that I would want to ask you if I got you on the line here, and that's basically for you. What do you think is the biggest Panther story for you going into 2020 with everything going on right now? There's so much stuff going on with the team, outside the team, in the in the country right now. I always love hearing your takes on especially like social issues and things that are going on outside uh, of the sporting world. But what is your what's the biggest thing that you're looking at with this Carolina Panthers team with all the turnover and everything else going in 2020? What's the biggest story that you think would be right now? That's funny, Des, because, you know, covering sports for over 30 years, I think in 29 of those 30 years, I just would have given you a football answer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe one way to put it is I believe the Panthers, you know, this is a matter of opinion, but I believe since last year they have said goodbye to the greatest player in franchise history. And, and I say Luke Keekley, it's okay if others pick other guys. The greatest quarterback in franchise history, obviously Cam Newton. And I would say the greatest coach in franchise history, Ron Rivera. I mean, when you're saying goodbye to that sort of trio, you are talking about 
maybe as big a transition year in the history of the Carolina Panthers franchise, just when it comes to the good old-fashioned football part of it all. You know, and Matt Rule trying to jump from college star coach to will he be a success in the NFL or will he be like Nick Saban and Steve Spurrier and Lou Holtz and Butch Davis and Chip Kelly and all these other college superstar coaches who didn't quite pan out in the NFL. Uh, And then, of course, you just add the COVID level to this, the pandemic level to this, and the social unrest aspect of it. Yeah, it's kind of three layers of what the Panthers have going on right now. And, you know, only one of those three layers is unique to the Panthers. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's kind of one of those situations. It was so jarring watching – I don't even want to call it Fan Fest. I I watched about 15, 20 minutes of it, and I had to turn it because it was just like – with no fans, it was just basically a glorified practice, and it was almost like the cameras didn't know where to go. Like, they yeah. would go to a drill, and then they would be there for three minutes, and they would go off to something else. So you didn't get a chance to really see what they were doing. Um, I stuck around to listen to some of the sound bites from McCaffrey and uh, Coach Rule after it was all over and everything, but it, it was very jarring to not have fans for me in the stands. And I've been on record ever since – March and WrestleMania was the event where I realized that I'm the type of fan where I kind of need the crowd there to kind of keep me engaged in the game. And I never really thought about how important they were until they were taken away. Um, Do you you miss preseason games? Me and Ty were talking about this earlier, that there's two different types of of football fans, those that watch preseason games and they go over the whole 82-man roster or whatever during the preseason and who's the third round, who's the third string quarterback or are you in that camp that you have not missed preseason games one bit they could be thrown away we could do it like college football not have them at all like where where are you do you are you a preseason football guy or, or are you a you know toss it all out well as a consumer whether i'm a media member or a fan uh i enjoy watching the preseason games only for my favorite teams so i covered the panthers I grew up in Philadelphia, so I root for the Eagles. I was there when they won the Super Bowl in Minneapolis a couple years ago. When it comes to the team you cover the most or cheer for the most, I think you do want to see the second stringers and the third teamers and all that stuff. But I'm not going to watch a random preseason football game somewhere else in the NFL involving teams that I don't care about the way I would on a Sunday watch you know, just any two teams almost playing a regular season game. Now, if I ran the league or if I was a player in the league, uh, I think we're at the point just because of the way these guys are putting their bodies at risk. uh, The fewer preseason games, the better. I think four was too many, uh, especially at a time when many NFL owners are in favor of expanding the regular season. You know, it's just a violent physical sport that leaves guys with long-term and short-term injuries left and right, given that I think especially if someday they're going to expand this regular season again, uh, pair back the preseason at most even in non-pandemic years. Obviously, we don't have any games in the preseason this year. Um, So, yeah, I I only miss them for the teams that I follow most closely. I can't say I'm enough of a a diehard that I'm watching, you know, preseason games left and right every August. And, you know, David, I was actually when – uh desmond and i were talking about the preseason and all that stuff i told him uh you know when i first came into the league of course you know it's just like anybody you're young and you want to play as many games as possible but as you get older and a guy carlton bailey who i played with uh in carolina linebacker yeah came from buffalo 
Uh, Carlton told me something my rookie year that stood with me for the rest of my playing career. And I think it helped me contribute to a long career. Uh, but Carlton told me, he says, um, young fella, he said, you can't make money in the training room. Hmm. Young fella, you can't make money in the training room. So to allude to your, uh, or to uh, not allude, not to get away from it, but to talk about the injuries, that's why I'm not a fan of, of, of preseason. Uh, because if the guys do get injured, you know what? That big deal that was they haven't got paid for yet because the season hasn't started. They get injured in preseason. Boom, that money is gone, yep. you know, so to speak. Uh, so I'm like, you know what? You can't make money in the training room. So when even when Deion Sanders said he had to make a business decision, that's how I played. I made business decisions. So I did make tackles. But I made sure if it was time to trip him up, I would just trip him up. Now, I wouldn't shy away from a tackle, but I wouldn't try to go blow somebody up. But I had to make business decisions. So, you know, with the preseason, you know, there is an increase of injuries. So I second your opinion on that about the injuries and everything. I mean, just to piggyback on that, all we got to do is go back to last season. I mean, the Panthers' season was basically wrecked in the preseason by Cam Newton getting injured in the third preseason yeah. game against the New England Patriots. Um, where, and then he tried to play on it because to to what you were saying, Ty, you don't really get paid in the preseason. You get paid those checks in the regular season. And he tried to go the first two weeks, and it just got progressively worse. And the whole season got washed out basically off of one injury. And – uh, I, you know, I'm a I'm a football junkie when it comes to the Panthers, and I was explaining this to Ty. I love watching at least the first half of preseason games just so I can see my starters. Yeah. I can see who's behind them, kind of get a feel of what we've got going on. And I'm kind of hurting this week because this would have been the third preseason game. So this is the game where, you know, the, the first string guys Started. are playing into mm-hmm. – yeah, they're playing into third quarter, and you're getting to see the defense out there for much longer usually. Uh, and the, and they're, it's almost like the two teams are trying to win that game more so just trying to work out, you know, what they got going on play-wise and everything. Um, I want to shift. Well, I, just, let me say this. Oh, go ahead, Ty. I, I, I will say this. The preseason game, to give it a little, you know, give it a plus, you know, give it a plus. It does give that player who was not even looked at as far as the coaches because True. they bring a lot of guys in just to fill up bodies so their starters don't have to take all those reps but it does give a player who may not have been known to become discovered by the coaching staff and he actually makes the team because yeah. of preseason so you know there are some goods and you know bad about it but from an established player a player who knows you're going to be on the team no, I don't want to do preseason. Hey, hey, one quick point, just since uh, the, the nature of uh, how it can be a small world sometimes. Of course, I've known Des for a while. I have followed Ty from afar for a long time. He brought up Carlton Bailey a, a short time ago. <laughs> would you, would you mm-hmm. guys believe that one of the first athletes I interviewed way back in the late 1980s, I'm talking about in my entire career, <laughs> is Carlton Bailey, who at the time, was a defensive lineman for the North Carolina Tar Heels under wow. Mac, Mac Brown Part 1 in Chapel Wow. See, look at that. <laughs> it is just, and just like Ty is a good guy, and I know Dez is too, Carlton, man, when you're like, I forget, I might have been 19 years old or whatever, you're nervous at 19 years old. I mean, my nerves are done at, at the age of 53. I don't have nerves anymore. But when you're the little guy, you know, in this locker room full of figurative giants and sometimes literal giants and someone treats you well, 
you know, I remember yeah. that. You know, mm-hmm. What is this? Thirty-five years later. So it's just crazy that that's a name that popped into our conversation today. And oh, one man. other quick thing. You know, I like the sport of hockey, and for a while they had a lot of problems with headshots. You know, intentional headshots uh, on body checks between among players. And one of the points you guys are making about, you know, the ups and downs of the preseason, and there are pluses, as Ty just said, there are downsides, including injuries. Hockey finally got to the point where it said, it's good for everybody if our better players stay healthy, right? It's mm-hmm. not just Ty who wants to stay healthy. It's his family who wants him to stay healthy, his coaches, mm-hmm. his teammates. But it's also great for the league. The NHL got to the point where it's like, if half of our most skilled, most talented, most fun-to-watch players are on the injured list because some guy took a shot at his head you know, out of frustration or whatever, that's not doing the league good or the player good or the owners good, right? So that's one more kind of vote against certainly a lengthy preseason you know, in mm-hmm. any sport. You, you want to watch your stars shine and the stars getting hurt in the preseason. There's like your example with uh, – Cam Newton having Cam, two yeah. straight years of injuries complicated by a preseason incident. Uh, that, that is a point well taken. It's one of the few things that I think almost everybody can agree on. Do you think? And, I, and I don't want to just park right here, but David, you made, you just made a, made another great point. And I'll, you know, add on to this real quick. My last statement about preseason, you know, the, the four games or whatever, I think is too much. And even if you go back and look at high school, college, they have about two weeks. And when you mentioned David taking the veterans out and, uh, letting the younger guys play because most teams already know who pretty much I would say 90% of the roster is going to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. And they're actually just looking for, like I said, that guy who basically is a surprise and he's able to beat out this other person who was already on the chopping blocks, but they was just, you know, seeing if he was recovered from an injury or, or does he still have it depending on his number of years. But, uh, even if they were to knock it down to one preseason game, two preseason games at the most, let those young guys play it so that those guys who are battling for those last couple of roster spots, they get to play. But you already know you're going to have your starting quarterback, your starting running back, guys that produced for you last year. You know, why put them in harm's way? Because those are the guys that actually sell the tickets. Those are the guys that the fans come to see. So why put them in harm's way? Real quick from both of you regarding preseason, and then we'll move on. What's the, what's the magic number for preseason? Because clearly four is too many games. Yeah. Uh, th- that fourth game is like a throwaway revenue-generating game for the owners more than anything else. So where would you, where would you want to see? Because clearly they're not going to do away with preseason, but if they decide to shorten preseason based off of this year going forward, what number would you want to see? One, two, three? I could live with two. You know, maybe one home, one away, and just, you know, call it a day. That would be my bottom line. That would probably work for me, too, to be honest. And then that way, you do it mid-August, so you give them an extra week or so uh, in training camp before they're going to play. They play that first one, whether home or away. You play that second one. That second one's kind of treated as the third one. And then you give them basically two weeks before the start of, uh, you know, the NFL regular season, get people healthy or whatnot. And to Ty's point and to yours, DG, you know, I think the league suffered a little bit last year because we didn't have guys like Cam Newton, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, guys that are have been the faces of this league, the quarterbacks. Uh, and, and there was a lot of them that were injured last year. And it felt like they were getting injured early, like early in the year. And you got to kind of wonder, uh, was preseason or the grind of August into September uh, part of that? 
uh, attributing to a lot of these players getting injured. Uh, got David Glenn on the line, longtime North Carolina sports broadcaster. Happy to have him on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast with uh, myself, Desmond Johnson, and Tyrone Poole. Um, our friend Ed Harden, uh, who you know very well, uh, DG, over at the Greensboro News and Record, uh, he's been adamant for months that he did not think the NFL would be able to finish the season. We've been in agreement that this train is not getting off the track. They're going to start the season. We just we're having a hard time picturing how the season ends. What what is your, your what are your thoughts on that? How do you think uh, having no fans will actually affect the product itself? Yeah, I, I I'll put it this way: I look at college football and the NFL differently. I'll, I'll, I will not be surprised if the NFL has, let's just say, a functional season, even if there are all sorts of curveballs and unexpected hurdles and postponements, you know, kind of like baseball had that stretch where so many games had to be postponed because of COVID complications. But it's, it looks like they've persevered through those bumps and, and they're still going to have an unconventional season, obviously, and a shortened season by baseball standards. But at this point, it looks like they're going to get through. And I think because we're talking about billionaire owners and in many cases, most cases, millionaire players, they know the risks. They've negotiated the terms. They're both sides are well represented by attorneys and other advisors. I think even though bad things are going to happen, they're going to persevere through those bad things at the college level where you don't have attorneys on both sides and you don't have a union and you don't have the same sort of, you know, millionaires, you know, communicating with billionaires. That's the scenario where I have a hard time seeing the successful, fully completed college football season. Um, But in terms of the NFL, I think most of the risks are known. Uh, The testing is getting better. Um, these guys are, are young and, and almost entirely not in higher-risk categories. So I think they're going to persevere through whatever bumps are coming their way. And in terms of no fans, I just think it's an extra challenge for these athletes. You know, I played baseball for 20 years, but probably the most I ever played in front of was probably about 1,000 people. Uh, you know, I just was no, I have no idea what it's like to be an athlete at this sort of level. Um, So maybe Ty can talk about that, but we've already seen MLB, NHL, NBA players say that you have to find new and different forms of motivation. You're still a competitor. You're still playing for your teammates and your coaches. You still care. But in some sports, that fan factor really provides a lift and and sort of that home field advantage, obviously. And um, that's that's the biggest thing that I'll be watching. How much is there a home field advantage anymore? And how do these guys sort of find that extra gear of motivation without, you know, 80,000 people screaming on their behalf? You know, that's a great point. And I want Todd to chime in on this part that you just mentioned, DG, that home field advantage that we haven't really had a reason to talk about yet. But that I would imagine that's going to be a huge deal because I'm watching the NBA playoffs and – it's like the Lakers are like the, the the one seed in the West, but it's really like there's no seeds. It, it, it's yep. like they're all playing on the same floor. Uh, there's no sort of advantage whatsoever for being the one seed or a high seed, in that matter, uh, in these playoffs. And I'm trying to equate it to NFL because, to me, the fans are so important. It's like the crowd noise is a constant <clears throat> murmur the entire game. Right. There's no... 
there's no silence like in baseball, like when the pitcher's about to pitch or in between in- innings or anything like that. There's there's lulls in an NBA game, and they fill it with arena noise and music and whatnot. NFL, it's it's seventy thousand people all crammed into a building, basically making some sort of noise for like three plus hours. And I'm trying to figure out how the NFL is planning on doing this for the the fan viewer experience with no fans in the the stadiums hardly at all. Now I know some of them have said they're going to have you know fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, whatever, depending on the part of the country that they are in. But for us here in North Carolina. I'm not really expecting them to allow them to have uh, fans in the stands. I don't think they've made an official announcement yet, but they're they're running out of road. They're going to have to make some sort of announcement here probably in this upcoming week uh, just to be able to sell tickets if they're going to sell them at all. Um, I, I, I don't know, and I've asked Ty about this in a variety of ways over the past month in terms of uh, having the fans there, but but Ty's a warrior. He can play. <laughs> you know, he can play without fans, with fans. It just don't really matter, but – do you do you think Ty being around other players that, like especially young players like this Panther team is going to be the average age is twenty five. Do you think it's going to affect mm-hmm. them uh, not being in a, a you know sixty nine thousand filled capacity Bank of America Stadium on Sundays? Well, I, I'm gonna go back and touch on you. You mentioned seventy thousand and uh, sixty nine thousand. What you just said now, uh, talking about the fans quiet. A home field advantage. You know how you quiet 70,000 people if you're a weight team? Hmm. You score, you score, you score. You keep them from scoring. That's how you shut the fans up. They're still going to boo you. They're still going to be booing you and stuff. But yeah, yeah, that's the home team that's going to have a problem. But, uh, <laughs> um, but home, true home field advantage. For my year playing in the NFL, true home field advantage is playing up in uh, Green Bay in January. That's true home field advantage. Uh, playing up in Foxborough in playoff season in January. Or if you're playing down in Miami or Arizona, which they can close and uh, Arizona can close and open their uh, stadium. But playing down in Miami uh, during September and uh, the warmer months there, that's home field advantage with the fans, without the fans, because it takes a toll on the body. When you're up north and it's cold, you get behind that cold weather starts taking a toll on your mind. Them mm-hmm. hits become a little bit more harder, and you want to get to that bench and don't want to come out of the locker room during halftime because <laughs> it feels so good in there. But to me, that, that is true home field advantage. The fans they add kind of like the icing to the cake, and you know they get behind and they really make the roaring sounds to try to drown out, but. You can take them away by scoring. I've seen it and heard it many, 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 many times. So uh, the fans, they're important, but true home field advantage is when you're up north and when you're down south uh, in them hot and cold days. So hey, and one quick thing, Des, the best I can tell right now, obviously we've got a couple of weeks to go before the season starts, but there are about 20 NFL teams that have already said at the beginning of the season, there will be no fans. Right. Now, now yeah. They've, yeah. Re- they've reserved the right to change that if the science looks a little better in October or whatever. But the Dallas Cowboys, for example, have said this week, I believe, that they are still hoping for as much as 50% of their capacity. What? Um, so there's also, <laughs> you know, and the Panthers, last I saw, they haven't made a decision, but they were hoping for maybe 15,000, right? 
So imagine the differences in the month of September oh my gosh. between empty stadiums. And of all of this can change. I mean, it's yeah. like we have to put an asterisk next to every sentence we say. <laughs> it could change tomorrow or the next day. But 50% of capacity at Jerry's World is a heck of a lot different home That's... field advantage than zero somewhere else. Though, can't they see 100,000 in there? They can see 100,000 yeah. capacity. So what, uh, half is what, like 50,000? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> check, I mean, this out, <laughs> check this out. They also have it at the thing about with Jerry Jones, and maybe this is what he's talking about as well. The fans can view the game from the outside and the inside. True. Uh, mm. Don't they have that? So it can necessarily go from 25, you know, whatever the, that number is, but you can spread them out also on the outside of the stadium so they can view the game from the outside and then those who are on the inside. So uh, he probably could get more numbers, but like you said, the half of the capacity of the inside, you know, putting 50,000, that'd be great social distancing in that trying to accomplish that but they do have the ability to watch it on the outside talking about the cowboys the panthers on the other hand they can't watch a view the games from the outside so you got to find out how many can actually come on the inside so maybe that's a little bit different between jerry his stadium and what uh david tepper has with bank of america stadium have you guys seen um uh what wwe is doing the Thunderdome or whatever that they've started uh, last week. Have you got anyone of you guys seen this yet? No. So WWE had been doing uh, their weekly shows where, of course, they're not on the road anymore. They're doing their, they were doing their pay-per-views and everything from their performance center uh, in Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken. And they decided basically to, no, no, down in Florida. They decided they have a deal with the Amway Center in Orlando where they went, they moved into there, became their new kind of temporary home. And they have put, uh tv screens all around the entire uh middle of the arena like and it goes up a couple of decks so it's like it's called thunderdome you know off of mad max where like yeah literally when they come in the entire thing is filled with screens and it's all virtual fans so like you can be sitting on your couch and you get like an invite from wwe you go in and all of a sudden your your yes, face is getting i read from there yes. yeah now I, I don't think that can work in football because it's just you know, being able to see yeah. stuff, I just don't think it'd be possible. But in arenas, like I watched it, I watched the pay per view last week just to see what it was going to be like. And I have to admit, watching it, I was like, wow, we could actually be looking at possibly the future of some indoor type sports, like the way WWE did this. But wrestling, boxing, uh, NBA, NBA's kind of been playing with this where they don't have it to the same level as like WWE has, like at least. 10,000 screens surrounding the ring right now, like from all angles. The NBA just kind of has like a two row kind of thing that goes around uh, the courts, which has been cool too. I have to admit the NBA with piping in the noise and having those fans on those screens. It's kind of made me forget. They're not really there. You can't do that in football. I don't believe uh, most of these stadiums are outside uh, line of sight and just being able to see the whole field from a, you know, that way off of a screen, you just can't really do it. So they don't really have that option. But, like Ty said, uh, for the players, that won't matter so much. I, I don't know how the experience will be for us as viewers. Uh, that's been my main concern. How do you watch an NFL football game at home without the crowd? That, that's been my biggest concern going into 2020. Uh, just I'm worried about it being jarring and it me turning me off from it. I don't think it will because I'm just a football junkie. But it's going to be a different experience for sure. 
going forward and knowing Jerry, like you said, DG, they're going to try to put 50,000 people in Jerry world. Like I, <laughs> like they're, they're going to try, like they're going to have to be told not to, but they're going to try to do it probably first couple weeks. And of course we'll hear the fallout from that a couple weeks after, um, on the believe in Panthers podcast here, uh, with our good buddy, David Glenn, longtime North Carolina, uh, sports talk personality here in the state uh, another situation that i did want to pick your brain on before we let you go dg uh something that may affect the season that no one really talked about before uh when people start reporting to camp that's become a big issue now is social abreast across the country i've always loved hearing your opinions on things like this whenever they do go down i've always felt that you were a voice of reason in the state of north carolina uh what are your thoughts on how the panthers are going to handle it as well as the nfl as a whole uh, because basically, this is a league that went from blackballing Colin Kaepernick a couple of years ago for trying to bring light to this, to now trying to embrace social change and apologizing to Kaepernick for basically blackballing him in the first place for doing this. How, how do you see this playing out with the NFL and the Carolina Panthers as a whole, uh, as we just played some comments from Matt Rule from FanFest where he explained he listened to the players, they're kind of leading the charge here. How do you see this playing out as we go forward? Well, I'll start with this. Thank you, Des, for saying that you enjoy hearing me on these sorts of matters, because one thing our market research told us over the last 11 years of our statewide show is a majority of listeners liked when I just strayed a little bit from sports. And then there was maybe this will not surprise you guys, but there was about a 10 percent factor that not only didn't like it. I mean, they're like emailing you death threats and attacking your family Mm. on Twitter. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, I, mean, I, was, I, I was there for some of that, oof, so yeah. Holy yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say this. I have more confidence in the Carolina Panthers under owner David Tepper to do the right things than I have for the NFL as a whole. And the main reason I say that is that David Tepper, I'm a show-me-don't-tell-me kind of guy. I tell my own children that all the time. Anybody can say the right things. It is a heck of a lot harder in life to do the right things. Show me, don't tell me. And David Tepper showed me when he signed Eric Reed, because Mm -hmm. that guy was treated mostly like Colin Kaepernick for something that was portrayed as un-American, whereas I, a guy who practiced law for almost 20 years, and I know the Constitution as well as anybody, I view it as uber-American to peacefully, silently protest. And yet there's so much racial division in our country that the current president and others turned it into an anti-flag, anti-anthem, anti-military concept, even though, and it's worth underlying this, underlining it, every player who knelt swore that it was not about the flag, not about the anthem, not about the military. Imagine the insanity of this polarization of our country based on a false premise. The president and people like Mike Thicke and Lou Holtz are out there saying, I don't know what these guys are protesting about. You know, mm. and, and the president called the NFL players who did protest SOBs who should just live in another mm. country if they don't like it. Mm-hmm. And yet th- their, their false premise was these guys are, they ask, you know, ask Malcolm Jenkins, ask any of these folks who have put in work in the community, who have actually gone face to face with member of the United States Congress. They'll all tell you it's about systemic racism, police brutality and related things. So we have this insane, nonsensical national polarization 
based on based largely on false premises. So when I look at David Tepper and see him doing what no other owner did for either Colin Kaepernick or the guy kneeling next to him, Eric Reed, David Tepper didn't just tell us, he showed us and said, this guy can help my football team and I'm going to stick my neck out uh, in front of, there's at least a dozen NFL owners who have contributed enormous dollars to the current president of the United States. It's not just Bob Kraft of the Patriots or Jerry Jones of the Cowboys or Stephen Ross of the Dolphins, who's held fundraisers uh, with some you know, hateful content for the current president. It's, it's 10 to 12 that have publicly contributed, and we don't know how many beyond that. So it is, it is not a friendly to social justice in this context National Football League. They have been light years behind the NBA on matters of social justice and racial inequality and police brutality toward people of color. The NBA has mostly done the right things. The NFL has mostly watched its wallet and its bottom line while doing some things right, uh, but usually being afraid to you know, alienate uh, the 40% of the country that doesn't see things that way. So the league, we've seen baby steps, right? Drew Brees' reversal. When he went from the I can't ever see anybody who would protest during the anthem to backtracking and eventually apologizing from that, um, we have seen a few owners even criticize the current president when he went too far with some of his lying about how many players were protesting or the SOB comment. We've seen baby steps from the NFL, but they are lagging behind on most of these matters because – you know, they worship the, the bottom line financially to an even greater degree than these other leagues. And that's why my optimism is more with the Panthers than it is for the league as a whole. Yeah, and, I, and I just add this in to what Dave is saying. It's just I'll, I'll sum it up in a, a little statement, um, whether it's NFL, whether it's the NBA, uh, whatever it is. It's a, a world thing, a society thing and insensitivity. Insensitivity on situation facing minorities come from a disconnect on issues that the majority, the majority don't understand. So insensitivity on situations facing minorities comes from a disconnect of the majority on those issues. So you're you know, right. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. We always sit down and say, OK, hey, what is bothering you? Tell me about it. How can I help? But the majority, and that could be anything. It's not just dealing with money, but that could be anything. If you have never lived up north and you've always lived down south where the weather's pretty much warmer, then you have you don't have sensitivity to when I tell you how cold it gets because you have not experienced yeah. that. So in order for me to understand you, I have to come live up north and see how you feel then because we're all human. And I do believe we have love in us, but that love has been uh, directed in the way that we want it to go instead of looking at it at the way it should be going. So um, that's 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 my thoughts on it. Good stuff, gentlemen. Really, really good stuff. Uh, DG, we'll get you out of here on a lighter note here. I've yeah. asked pretty much every guest that we've <laughs> had the past couple of weeks this question, and not that many people have, have uh, been on it. We had... Uh, cornerback Eric Davis on last week and I asked him and he would not bite whatsoever so I'm hoping you will 
David Glenn, do you have any predictions on the Panthers this season? In terms yeah. of their record? <laughs> <laughs> well, that one's a lot easier than that last topic. And right. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Ty used some great words, including disconnect and insensitivity. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, in all candor, as a, a white man, most of the people that I know personally who carry around some racial resentment are not fundamentally bad people, but they are coming from a place of ignorance about matters of race in our country. And some people get offended when they hear the word ignorant because they think you're calling them stupid. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the same. You can be br- brilliantly intelligent and simply be uninformed on matters of race. I've studied from law school through my legal career to the current day the matters of race and gender. I will never have the, under, the full understanding that you guys may have as men of color. But my studying has helped me come from a place of ignorance from a, to a place of knowledge. And that's why I personally don't think I have that disconnect, that insensitivity. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to be open-minded. And, and whereas, you know, I'm happy to give a prediction of, say, you know, 5 and 11 for the Panthers and not, <laughs> and not worry if I'm wrong. Well, well, so I didn't dodge that question. Yeah, there, yeah thank you. But, <laughs> but the other part of this conversation just dwarfs the importance of any of our opinions about the Panthers record. And I, I talk about that stuff, too. Prognostications are part of what we do. I don't mean to belittle that question, but I'm so glad you guys asked me the other question because I really believe it's as important as anything any of us does in our lives or careers to be candid and honest about topics like this. So I offer from my different experience as a a white man who has studied these issues, y'all offer your experience as men who have walked in those shoes of men of color. Uh, I have tricky conversations with my children about a lot of things, 21 and 17 years old. I never have to have the conversation about worrying about the color of your skin leading to a dangerous situation. Hmm. And, and I'm aware that so many others do. And, and that's not the end point for understanding, but it's part of the starting point for understanding. And I just wish more of my fellow intelligent uh, members of the majority, if you will, would be more open-minded and just more willing to rise above, you know, whatever ignorance or or racism they may have been taught by their parents or or other mentors, because it doesn't have to be this way. And the good news is, I promise you this, I see less racism in my children's generation than I saw in mine. Mm. I see, I saw less in mine than I saw in my parents' generation. And I saw less in theirs than I saw in my grandparents' generation. And I just offer that as a, as a point of hope because so much of the rest of this conversation is negative that, um, you know, I'm always looking for like a little ray of sunshine or, or a sign of progress. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you letting me talk on that. No, sure. I'm so glad you mentioned that, too, uh, because I, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, I'm 42, grew up here in the South in North Carolina my entire life, and I am, I am in an interracial marriage. I am married to a white woman. I have been married to uh, my wife, Jennifer, for over a decade. We have two mixed children, uh, two daughters, and one's a sophomore in high school and one is in the fourth grade here. And 
I, 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 what you were saying, I feel it because I, I'm back in my hometown in Kernersville, North Carolina, where I was pretty much raised, and we decided to move back here because of the feeling of the hometown. But you get outside of the hometown or really within the hometown. I, and when I talked about this with Ty a little bit earlier, I'm slowly, painfully starting to realize that there are people that I grew up with that may have been putting on a, a fake uh, facade, I guess, yeah. went around me back in the day that now they're not realizing that everyone can see what they're spilling out on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And there's so much ignorance towards yeah. things that it just makes you look at people uh, you know, differently. And I'm having to deal with that right now in terms of, you know, do I unfriend this person that I've known for 20 years because they clearly don't understand what's going on? Or do I try to take on the, the task of educating them on what's going on? Mm-hmm. And try to salvage the friendship, or have they gone too far? Like it's not salvageable. So that, I think that's what's going on right now, as society as a whole. You know, everyone on Facebook and Twitter and social media, you're getting all these different bits of info and misinformation, and it's thrown at you at one time. And those that can process it are able to process it. Those that can't process it or choose not to process it, uh, that's kind of where we are now because you can't really have a conversation with someone when half of that conversation refuses to believe facts <laughs> you know like when, yep. when when facts are involved and you refuse facts it makes all these other conversations kind of pointless so i'm hopeful like you are uh dg me and ty have talked about it multiple times in terms of just hoping that we're we're advancing the conversation and i do agree with you that uh you know there's it seems like there's more people that are not black or of of uh color that are with us on this on this issue this time around. Um, just through my lifetime, it felt it always felt like it was just us against everyone. Yeah. This time, it kind of feels like, like you said, this gen- the current generation, the younger generation right now, they weren't raised that way. They were raised to look at everybody as humans and not as black, white, Asian, whatever it may be. And it does feel like there's a little bit more backup. There's not just black people that are are putting this out there. It's a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and colors and religions and, and creeds and sexual orientations or whatever that see that it's a problem. It's a systemic problem that we have. And I'm so glad that these athletes are, are stepping up with the platforms they have to kind of bring it even more to the forefront. But gentlemen, we got a long way to go. A, we have a <laughs> yeah. long, this is really more, this is just the start of a journey, not the end. So we'll see. Um, Dave, can I say this real quick? Yeah, Ty, go ahead. Real man. quick. Um, and again, I appreciate David. I have never met you, I don't think, but man, I appreciate you 1000, uh, your realness. Um, and Dez, you said something. And as you were talking, I've put this song, so to speak, on my social media. Of course, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not a singer. <laughs> but uh, that's a song that was written in the 70s. And it actually, and you know, back in the 60s and 70s, they wrote songs that they truly either went through it or they were experiencing it at that time or they saw it happen like the lyrics were like that's how it was Mm -hmm. so there's a song called smiling faces and you made me think about it there's when you said you had to cut loose a lot of people on your social media because you know they were hiding so to speak who they really were so the song is called smiling faces so anybody listen to this podcast or you guys go check it out it's smiling faces sometimes (laughs) and it says uh, the first verse just says, smiling faces sometimes. Pretend to be your friend. Smiling faces show no traces of the evil that lurks within. Can you dig it? 
smiling faces smiling faces sometimes they don't tell the truth smiling faces smiling faces tell lies and i got proof oh yeah oh yeah so Oh man, that's a great. That's a great song. That's a great yeah. song. I actually kind of wanted to hear you sing it after you started. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe next time when we get uh, <laughs> when we get DG on David Glenn, sir. I, I'm very happy that I can I can call you a friend here in this business. Yes, uh, sir. This this business, as we both know, is a very fickle type of business, and uh, I, I just admire everything you've done here in the state of North Carolina for Sports Talk Radio uh, over the past couple of decades. And I definitely want to make sure we bring you back on during the season. And hopefully the next time we bring you back on, we'll have more football stuff we can talk about. And hopefully the Panthers are 4-1 and one and surprising the league and talk of the town when we bring you back through. But we really appreciate you being on uh, the Believe in Panther podcast. Well, thanks, bud. It's been an honor to be with you guys. I really mean that. And since we're throwing out homework assignments, there's a great <laughs> song from right around when I was born. Uh, look up Everyday People by Sly and the Family Stone. Yes. Uh, 1968 is when it was cut, and it is both stunning and sad, the application that it still has mm. in 2020 about how people find just ridiculous reasons to be divided, right? Right. Like it's, as Cam Newton, I think, once said, wait a minute, there's what is it? One fraction of 1% of our DNA that makes us different? Is, is it, yep. you know, the, raci the, the, the racial element, the pigmentation, et cetera? Really? Really? <laughs> we're, we're fighting over some tiny fraction of 1%. And that's why we're looking at each other differently that, you know, as groups by color rather than by the content of your character. As a famous great man once said, um, you know, I'm glad we get to talk about those things. But there's another uh, musical selection from the late 1960s that might either make your day or depress you based on, <laughs> based, based on how applicable it still is. I got some work to do this weekend. I'm going to go to my Spotify and get this thing hooked up. Uh, DG, man, we appreciate you being on and spending the time with us. And we definitely will invite you back on here uh, real soon. Thanks, guys. Best wishes to you. Likewise. All right. And that's the uh, Believe in Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Find us on Spotify, Google, Apple, everywhere major podcasts are uh, available. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.